0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. Because if you're on this program, you probably are a wholesale change agent. My name is Ian Heller. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer with Distribution Strategy Group. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, the doctor of distribution, who I recently named Dr. Beinstein. Jonathan Bein, PhD. Jonathan, how are you
1: today? An apple a day keeps the doctor away.
0: Well, you know what? I'm not eating any apples then because I don't want to keep you
1: away. Okay.
0: So we have a great guest this morning. But before we do that, I want to thank our sponsor, who is Epicor, because for more than 50 years, Epicor has helped distributors stay ahead with flexible, powerful solutions designed to increase sales, streamline operations, and improve customer experience. Epicor's industry-leading distribution ERP solutions are built specifically to meet the unique needs of wholesalers with everything you need to grow your sales, profits, and productivity while distancing yourself from your competition. Epicor is focused on the things that matter to you. Work queues, BO variance queues, kidding, assembly and production orders, advanced inventory forecasting, VMI, and special project pricing. They build their software using industry best practices and 50 years of distribution experience. But Epicore solutions are far more than just tools for pick, pack, and ship. Fully cloud-based with modern UI, Epicor offers complete, robust e-commerce solutions, powerful BI and analytics tools, modern API and EDI value-added services, WMS, virtual assistants, and much more. You can learn more about how Epicor helps thousands of wholesalers succeed by visiting epicor.com. Now, we have many, many, we have hundreds of podcast listeners. Welcome to the show if you're on the podcast, but we love it when you attend live and ask questions. So if you're on the show today live, please submit some questions because we have a fantastic guest today. We have. We are honored to have Mr. Barry Litwin. Barry, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you today?
1: There he is. I'm great. There I am.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ian and John. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been great to uh, join your program and talk a little shop around uh, industrial supplies and uh, and wholesale.
0: Fantastic. Okay, good. So as you know, Barry, we have very, very few slides because the vast majority of our audience is on podcast. But I do have a slide up uh, just as a prompt for you, I suppose, about your background, your career, highlights your education. If you don't mind, Barry, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you came from and the path you've taken to become the CEO of a big public company like Global Industrial Company?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, obviously I'm out of Port Washington, New York right now as, a uh, running global industrial company, but, uh, been in many places before that, uh, certainly, you know, started my career and where I was born and raised was in the, uh, northern suburbs of Chicago. So, uh, believe it or not, earliest in my career, some of my first jobs were in retail and working in a warehouse. So mm-hmm. I think that has been, um, you know, kind of, a uh, formative for me along the years, understanding, you know, not only just the consumer retail environment, but also understanding the distribution environment. So I think that's kind of transcended my career, you know, um, and then certainly spending time in a, in a wide range of, of industries, uh, certainly have spent, you know, almost equal time both on the consumer side and B2B. So that perspective really plays well. You know, and, and, and the companies I've been a part of. Uh, sometimes B2B strategies apply well into consumer. Sometimes consumer applies well into B2B, which in today's e commerce world, I think is becoming um, more the trend. You know, I think uh, everyone's, uh, you know, customers today are, you know, want the best experience. And so uh, consumer's been out there on the forefront for a long time. And, uh, you know, we've been hiring a lot of folks from consumer and retail into global. So I think that's been, uh, that's been helping us uh, quite a bit. Um, and certainly have you know have had uh, stints. I was uh, running a very large uh, consumer electronics company called Adorama for uh, for many years, and um, you know then had taken on the role at uh, Global Industrial. Um, uh, just after that, as I had been on the board actually with uh, Global Industrial for since 2017, so I had really good perspective uh, into the business. And the cool thing about it is. You know, for years and years, you know, B2B was considered an area where digital was going to take over. And I found that, you know, for a decade, it just was really slow for it to hit. Mm. So, being involved in the consumer retail side for a long time, you know, fighting the, the Amazon's, developing mobile, you know, innovating desktop, focusing on UX and all those things, it felt like the switch hadn't really made it B2B. And uh, up until really a few years ago, where it really started to uh, take hold. And, you know, there's nothing like a a pandemic, you know, to be able to increase the adoption rate of of e-commerce usage within the B2B space. I think it's it's clearly here to stay and part of the strategy that we've uh, been forging ahead with with global industrial. So I think it's hit full steam now.
0: Yeah. So uh, when I look at your background, so you and I have a little bit of overlap. You were at uh, uh, Newark Electronics. I think you were there about five years after i was probably spent quite a bit of time still though cleaning up the mess i left um and uh i think
1: they're still still cleaning it up (laughs) yet.
0: look the company survived that's my standard (laughs) okay um and uh and so that's you know a pure b2b and and i know that business a little bit so that's uh sort of you know selling to uh, electronic components to design engineers and MRO technicians, etc. Then you went to Office Depot, and that's an interesting company. I actually just wrote about them. It went out yesterday because they're going to start a marketplace. But um, that is really a hybrid retail B two B company because Absolutely. you know that contract business. That's all B two B. You know, deliveries to office buildings. But even that retail business, I would assume a lot of the people who walk in the door are actually small business owners. Right? Yeah. They're not parents doing school projects.
2: A lot of Soho. A lot of small business. Fair amount of you know consumer walk-in business, um, but it definitely trended on on the smaller side. And certainly in, in that space, you know whether it's Depot or Staples, you know those businesses had a very large penetration of commercial business that they were doing, which drove you know a huge piece of the business. And so it was. I think um, on the e-commerce side, it was a it was a good dose of of being in both camps. You know, both on the consumer and the B two B side.
1: It's, it's interesting, Barry, we we track e-commerce trends in distribution pretty closely, and we've looked at about 4,000 websites to see who can actually take a transaction. Mm-hmm. And we've organized it by sector. There are some sectors, um, Jansand in particular, where if you look at the companies 50 million and above, 65% of them can take a transaction now, right? We've been hearing this drumbeat to your point for years, literally since about 2000, but it's actually happening. You're going to be at a situation by mid-decade where you might have entire uh, s- sectors deployed on e-commerce. And that's a very different game,
2: right? Yeah. And I think it's only going to accelerate. You know, I think even, you know, obviously 2020 drove a huge adoption rate in overall e-commerce. But you think about even where we're where, where at right now, we're really not out of the pandemic to some extent. And, you know, you're still seeing, you know, a fair amount of remote work going on. So buyers today are, are, are leveraging the web to do more and more of their work. And they're finding that the capabilities, you know, they're they're very efficient using using the web. Uh, the fulfillment and distribution setups have become a lot more efficient and more effective. You know, it's shipping not only parcel but uh, LTL, you know, which is a big part of uh, you know big part of business to business is, sh- is shipping the big and bulky. So I think those you know those those systems connected with uh, with uh, e-commerce are making it a lot more convenient for business buyers to you know transact online. So I, I it's it's only it's only going up.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to stop sharing so everybody can see our uh, good-looking faces. Uh, and so, Barry, uh, you you talked about the pandemic, and Global did really well during the pandemic while a lot of your peers struggled. Uh, you also mentioned your ability to manage bulky items. So how do you do that? Because it's such a struggle for most distributors to manage the, these bulky items. And you tr- clearly, you differentiate there. And what did you do during the pandemic that helped you outperform, uh, I, I guess, your the industry, your peers?
2: Yeah, the COVID. I mean, look, it was um, you know, you think about. I think back to end of Q one, Q two of twenty twenty, when we really started to feel the the pressure from the market, and and our first priority, you know, Ian was always our associates' health and safety. I mean, that was the that was the biggest piece. You know, is being able to address what does this mean for our company? What does it mean for our people? What does it mean for our distribution uh, workers? So recognizing that we had to operate in a remote fashion, we did that within. You know, 24 hours, and we are not a remote company. You know, we're not a Silicon Valley tech company who's used to operating out of their home with their laptops. I mean, we we are, you know, like most industrial distributors. I mean, it's it's pretty much you know people in seat and working together as a team. And so this was a, a must for us. So once we did that and got everybody remote. Um, we started really thinking about and got everybody safe. We started thinking about what is it that our customers need, and you know, global has been it's in a history for over seventy years, really being a company that is nimble, quick, kind of a roll up the sleeve, uh, get it done kind of attitude. That's actually part of our uh, core core values in the company. You know, mm-hmm. is uh, we get it done and uh, we roll up our sleeves. That's actually one of our one of our uh, uh, core value terms. And um, it, it came to really help us out during that period. I mean, sourcing was really constrained. Um, obviously, everyone was looking for sanitizer and masks. Uh, we had a fair amount of that product where we had some supply chains set up, you know, overseas to bring that product in, but not at the levels that we were dealing with. So we put a full court press, put a team together. Everyone rallied. Um, we worked with countless factories, you know, uh, all across the globe. To find some good sources, you know. And once we finally locked in, we were able to get that product for our customers, and that really helped drive the momentum in the business. At that point, we found that if we could really work hard, be creative on how we're going to get product in, um, that we could we could have a have a come out a lot better than we thought we were back in kind of the early Q two phase. And it turned out, you know, we had a record year that year. But I think from a standpoint of um, getting it done. Um, our people and our sourcing just really came to, came to, came to play and, and, and did a great job. Now, at the same time, we had been building on our ACE strategy and we had been developing out marketing function in our, in our organization. We brought on a chief marketing officer, uh, Klaus Warner, uh, to help us out. And we were looking for a proposition. You know how do we reposition our value at that point in time? And we came up with the concept of, of R3 which was our R3 marketing strategy. That was the first big signature campaign. We had been planning to do that.
0: So, so, so sorry, A stands for?
2: Accelerating the customer experience. That's our internal strategy. Kind of like you think about Big Blue, was, you know, Best Buy years ago. You know, so sure. we have a very similar kind of mantra in the company around that. So that, that foundation was already in place. You know, we, we didn't necessarily have to reinvent ourselves during that period. We already knew where we wanted to go, but we had this pandemic, you know, we, we had to deal with. So we had to pivot right. a little bit around it. But somebody companies, you know, I think through the pandemic had to basically figure out what are we going to do? You know, their sales tank and it's like, what do, how are we going to reposition our business? Certainly folks in retail had to, had to relook at their whole entire business. But we,
1: we weren't we
2: weren't in that type of situation. But we did realize that we wanted we had an opportunity to share a different value proposition with our customers. So we said to customers, look, you know, we can help you. Restore, we can help your employees return to work, we can help you rebound the business because we provide all the back office products that were actually needed for companies to kind of ready their environments to help associates come back. So we use that as a rally cry in our R3 campaign, and that was a massive boon. That was kind of the first, um, I would say, true signature campaign that we launched to market that really resonated with our customers at the time. And what we found was they not only came to us for PPE and sanitizer, but they started buying our partitions, they started buying all of our, you know, furniture screens, we, 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 were, we were really selling the full gamut. So even though core product at the time, you know, what we sell heavy in the material handling space wasn't the, you know, item of the moment, given a lot of factories were shut down, we were able to activate a portion of our assortment that became really valuable during that time. And we just kept tripling down on that. And that really helped us and you know, has continued to help us you know, uh, all the way through that year. And, and, and certainly we have a you know, great assortment for uh, for pandemic and for protecting the environment into 21. But that, that whole notion, that created kind of a, a rally cry in the organization. It really galvanized our company. We realized that we could find, we could find a path amidst the chaos, and we just kept hitting that, hitting that gas pedal. And we really, um, you know, delivered a, a great year last year because of it. And actually, you know, for us, it was kind of one of those moments where if you believe you can get to the next level, you can, mm-hmm. we had the right people, we had some investment because of our strategy in place, and we just used the moment to kind of reposition our business. And now, you know, the way we sit today, you know, you saw in Q1, we've rebranded the whole company. You know, we used to be right. called System Max, we're no longer called Systemax. that's all in our rearview mirror. We are really about global industrial. And we've now activated a brand at a massive level that's really helping us get a lot of awareness in the marketplace. So, you know, it was an interesting time. It, it kind of taught me, you know, um, you, you could be caught in the pretzel, you know, and kind of a stuck position. But you have to realize there's always a move. There's always a move, and sometimes it's not obvious. But you you bring your team together and you find a couple couple cracks in the armor to get yourself out of it, and then you drive that, and it really makes a difference. And the people in the company, they. You know, everyone loves to win, so it's
0: You're right. Yeah, it was,
2: a, it, was a, it was a really it was a really good time, and I think it created a lot of the the whole initiative created a big engagement for us in the company, and everyone contributed, and they felt like they were doing good because you had a lot of companies out there that were struggling; they needed these supplies, and we were in the in the right spot to get it. But if I don't think if we thought creatively at the time, we could have just we could have just faded a little bit, you know. But I think that wasn't the attitude of our team. And it certainly wasn't the uh it wasn't the the fabric of our overall culture you know to not to not sit back i mean we we came in and said, "How do we solve this and uh it was a interesting time, and you know we're we're smack dab into a another another crazy one in twenty one with all these supply chain constraints, so you know we're doing the same thing all over again
1: <laughs> so Barry, Barry, one thing one thing that's impressive about what you've done from what I can see in the numbers is a lot of companies saw the PPE as part of their mix go up in 2020 for obvious reasons. Right. Um, but they also took a bit of a margin hit. Right. And it seems like you guys not only didn't take a margin hit, maybe even creeped up a little bit. So that's to your credit. Yeah. Well,
2: if you guys recall back, back then, I mean, there, there was a constrained, you know, it was constrained product. So unfortunately, and you remember the, you know, people in the street were talking about, you know, crazy prices, buying masks at, at retail, and there's a lot of uproar in that. But, you know, we were always market-based priced and, you know, manufacturers were raising price coming in overseas because they had the opportunity to do so. So you had to basically try to, you know, save some of that money for your customers, but at the same time, you know, it, it drove a little bit of improvement in margins. So that was, that was helpful. Um, but we had a lot of other product that, you know, that, that wasn't, that didn't sell at that time because it wasn't in favor was high margin product. We, you know, we just happen to be fortunate that, you know, when you're selling constrained product, um, you're usually taking a little bit more of a margin, and when that ends up becoming a little bit bigger part of your overall balance of sale, it mm-hmm. results in an aggregate margin lift. So, you know, this basic economics.
0: That and how uh, now you have, I think in your public documents you've disclosed you're like 40 percent private label. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, not, yeah.
0: Range. Something in that something in that range. I don't remember, yeah, but yeah. it's a lot. You guys have done been very successful with private label, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, one of the you know parts of the the strategy. I think our company has been kind of a leader in product innovation for years. You know, developing really unique ways to uh, take a product that's a commodity out there and change the spec a little bit to add a little bit more value. You know, we call it the extra chip in the cookie right we have a very strong uh, product development arm um, that kind of scours the market for products that our customers want and then figures out to over-engineer it or change the engineering a bit to make it a little bit more value and we typically sell that product at a a value price in the market and uh, we started doing some brand test studies about a year about a year and a half ago actually it was um it was prior to um prior to the pandemic and we found that uh, our customers and customers that don't buy from us really preferred the uh, global private brand name, and they they like the quality of it. They like the innovation. Believe it or not, it scored amazingly high relative to even some of the oh. other really big brands in the market. Yeah. So that gave us a lot of confidence that you know w- we had something that we could triple down on, you know, and uh, help create some differentiation for us in the market. So our private brand program, you know, with global brand, uh, we also have a which is our big furniture brand. Um, those are big areas of emphasis for us. And we continue to you know, develop that pipeline uh, by talking to customers, uh, doing surveys in the market, and then at the same time, being a little innovative and doing some unique things. I mean, we, we've got a lot of interesting programs that we've launched um, with specifically for the customers, uh, which create opportunity for us to expand in the future. But we have, um, you know, we're now refining that strategy. You know, we brought in a new SVP of, of uh, merchandising, um, and then yeah. uh, Alex Dome, and he, you know, he comes out of the consumer retail space, and uh, right. you know, which typically has very strong capabilities in, you know, brand rationalization, um, private brand strategy. Um, overseas buying things like that so we're just you know increasing our capability as we continue to to lever more there and we want to provide the customers what they want so we have a strong strong arsenal of commercial brands you know that we buy from um, you know we have 1.7 million items in our total assortment online wow. so you know i think for us it's it's really about it's not so much the the skew count that matters it's more the quality of the of the assortment that's where we've been you know focused and i think today consumers have massive choice the number of items you can go to amazon and buy anything you want in the sun right i think in i think in our space it's becoming more about curated curated assortments and getting the right items you don't need every item you just need to have the right items and teeing it up to a to a customer so that it becomes convenient sometimes too many skews can overwhelm people and if you have too much redundancy in the line with too many brands it can it can overwhelm so yeah, they
0: they call that, marketers call that the paradox of choice, right? So yeah. if you have too many choices, you, you feel like you're the odds of making the wrong choice go up. So, and actually, Barry, you have a different background than most CEOs. I mean, it's not unprecedented for CEOs to come up from marketing or e-commerce, yeah. but most of them tend to come up from, especially in distribution, finance, or in particular operations or sales, that feels like in this position, you, this different background brings some advantages, you know, like understanding the role of private label and understanding, you know, the, the, the idea of a curated assortment. Um, how, how do you feel like that background has helped you uh, in your career?
2: Oh, it's definitely helped. I mean, I, I, I think that um, strategically it, it, it helps quite a bit, you know, having run merchandising, e-commerce marketing, you know, as a CMO in my past. I think that that really gives you a focus on the customer. And so I, you know I've spent a lot of years with both on the consumer and b two b sides, spending time with getting the right assortment for our customers, you know evaluating SKU performance, you know how many brands are the right brand for a subcategory, and looking all at, particularly even a heavy dose of uh, digital merchandising. you know how does the mm-hmm. how the product appear on the page? You know, how do your alternatives look uh, below? How are accessories looking? So spending years running teams, you know, doing all that gives you a good appreciation for how your assortment should look, you know, for your company online. And so um, I don't do all that every day, but I, I certainly work with the leaders as, a, as, as I, I see myself as kind of a peer in many cases working to solve problems in the company and, um, you know, trying to get us better. So we, we've certainly put a huge emphasis on uh, digital uh, investment for, uh, for global industrial. We've always had a very strong web presence. That's kind of the tip of the spear for us and acquiring new customers and getting our assortment online. But I, but I would tell you that we, we, we're continuing to double down on that. Uh, so in terms of, you know, web capabilities, you know, we're addressing everything you know, from, from UX, uh, new PDP design, um, search capabilities, uh, personalization, all those areas are, are on the table for us that we're innovating, you know, um, And, and, you know, as part of our strategy, we've been expanding uh, to not just be a transaction player, but a player that companies can come to for knowledge. So we launched a uh, content play called Knowledge Center, which is connected to globalindustrial.com. That was an awesome initiative. I mean, we have a place where, you know, every quarter you can come in and consume content written by experts um, each day. Uh, You can come and read us like a magazine online if you want. And that's really part of our strategy to become more of a a source for expert information. And we're using that content in a number of different ways, leveraging it through social, um, leveraging and providing that information directly from our managed sales team to our customers and creating it as a, obviously, as a separate site. So we've been up for a while on that and we continue to refine it. The strategy is not yet done. It's not done yet, but I think that is going to be really important for just companies in general to find additional value outside of just being a transaction player, but really starting to provide value. Because if you're just going to provide SKUs and grow your SKUs and not provide additional value, you know, then there's a lot of players you can go to for for that type of thing and the market becomes more competitive. But we think that our knowledge of particularly in material handling, storage and shelving areas where we're strong, um, we can carry and provide that insights to buyers who need to make decisions, you know, what type of workbench do they need in their facility. Right. Um, the right type of garbage cans that they need to buy. You know what about storage and shelving, wire shelving. You know we're providing a lot of content information on those areas to help them.
0: So what kind of information is in Knowledge Center? It sounds like there's some application assistance information, right? Is it primarily technical about products?
2: Um, it's going you know, to continue to expand in that space. We have a lot of news, newsworthy information. You know we talked about you know how to prepare your your business for the return. Um, now we're getting into. We've developed a lot of information around material handling. Um, storage and shelving, how to use those products effectively, how to be, how to create a more efficient workspace within your business. So we have, you know, dozens of writers that are contributing articles, we review them, and then we want to make sure the content's fresh and continue to post it. So, um, you know, that's been a really important area. We actually have a couple influencers that we're starting to uh, deploy um, in the cleaning space. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's an opportunity for us long-term. It's very much a consumer strategy, but we, we see that you know, even us uh, testing. You know, we 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 tested. Uh, you know, TikTok this year and, and doing some. Oh really? Products. Oh yeah, we're we're doing some very very innovative stuff and it, it's you know it's a test and learn environment which is fun with that. So uh, believe it or not, um, you know, business buyers do look at TikTok and they watch videos. Um,
0: so business buyers are people too.
2: Absolutely. Bringing <laughs> the B two B experience. You know, it's like taking B two B buyers into
1: the consumer experience a bit. We actually have a question. Um, what is global industrial key customer target segment? And if you can share, what segments did you grow during the pandemic? Well, you know, like a lot of um, a lot of um, you know, industrial
2: suppliers, we're we're very centered on kind of that manufacturing SIC area. I mean, like like most of us, um, uh, you know, that are broadline distributors. So manufacturing makes up a, a big piece of it. Uh, but we have, you know, we have broad exposure into warehouse logistics, retail. We sell into pretty heavily. Um, retail during the pandemic was an interesting one because uh, a lot of those stores were figuring out, you know, how they need to batten down the hatches with sanitizer and masks and areas like that. But we do very well in that space. But we're, we're broad. I mean, we sell to most of the SICs, but heavy into distribution, logistics facilities uh, that are using material handling products. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward for us. Uh, but there's definitely new markets that we're we're going to look at on the horizon.
0: Hey Barry, when we talked uh, probably several weeks ago now, uh, you mentioned that despite the fact that you're really a distribution center, phone, online order based business, you have a sales force, right? Yeah, oh, and, so- and and how do you deploy them? What do they do to add value for your customers?
2: Oh, it's it's huge. If we so we do a lot of um, we do uh, have a whole voice of customer program, and we survey customers every day about their experience. Our one-to-one selling organization probably drives some of the highest levels of satisfaction of anything that we offer in the company. And so if you think at the, you think about it from an acquisition to retention standpoint, you know, our go-to-market model, which is something we we talk to investors about, you know, really starts on the digital end. You know, in terms of acquisition of customers through um, our paid spend program and, and digital activities. And that's growing and expanding. But as those customers start to increase their transactions with us from a website perspective, they grow up to be a little bit bigger customers. At that point, we actually engage them um, in our sale, selling organization, um, both inside and outside. And so once they hop up into that group, the level of service and capability that we can provide that customer really starts to accelerate. And as a result, you know, our, our retention goes up, our category expansion within those customers um, goes up and long-term uh, overall loyalty really accelerates. I mean, at a, at a big level. So when we th- you think about it on a continuum, you know, starting from a new customer, getting into the growth phase and then right. starting to really double down with with, uh, with uh, more and more spend, our account management function is very, very skilled. I mean, there a lot of them are, you know, most of them are all OSHA certified. Uh, they're able to provide insights and information to customers about how to, you know, support you know new projects that happen within the logistics uh, within a logistics team within the warehouse. Uh, we also have subject matter experts <clears throat> focused on particular product categories that can jump in with the account manager to provide added value, you know, on that phone call. And then if we need to, um, we have uh, you know outside sales folks who are who work with strategic accounts to. Um, call and identify, you know, larger opportunities with much bigger organizations at the enterprise level. So we, we're, we're primarily focused on that kind of that small to mid market customer. Yeah. You know, we're not an integrated supplier like a Granger or something like that. But we, we, you know, we we definitely get into those conversations from time to time, and um, you know, we find that we're we're really expanding and improving our value proposition at, at each level of the sales channel. So from the website. We're doing a fantastic job of really being able to extend ourselves as a as a uh, e-commerce marketeer. And then as those customers grow and develop, uh, we're starting to improve our overall sales efficiency and capability uh, to help expand the uh, relationships of the uh, midsize to large customers. And now we're starting to provide new services and capabilities, both online and offline. For those customers, so traditional EDI capabilities, but we're building a lot of functionality into the account management function of our website to keep customers a little bit more sticky. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of a combination between working with our reps for um, solving problems and identifying new categories, but leveraging the web and its functionality to make it convenient for the customer to buy anytime they want. And we're tying that together with our with our fulfillment capabilities. So something I've talked about is. Investing in the digital supply chain. So digital innovation isn't just about the website; it's actually about the full end-to-end end and how you can uh, exploit digital in those areas. You know, we're providing um, you know immediate text-based tracking both for small parcel and for uh, commercial uh, oh. LTL orders, mm-hmm. and um, that was something we put in place, you know, uh, probably back in end of two thousand nineteen, and it's it's really helped in terms of giving customers. Um, big awareness around where their order is. You know, it's easy to do on the UPS parcel side, a uh, lot more challenging to do it on the LTL side mm-hmm. technologies on, those, on the uh, trans carriers aren't all the same. Sure. But we, we've we kind of stitched that together and I think we're doing a nice job on it and our, and our CSAT levels have, have, have gone up as a result. So the rep really has the opportunity to utilize, you know, both digital and offline capabilities to help them uh, provide value to the customer each day. And that's really what, what our, what our focus is, particularly with our, with our inside team, providing a full range of services to customers and they love it. You know, I think when we get somebody into that group, um, the retention rates are, are unbelievable.
0: So, so you have a, a customer service group that takes inbound phone calls for orders or questions, and then you have salespeople who work account managers who work over the telephone and then you have outside account managers as well. That, yes. Is that right?
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, customer service deals primarily with you know the service side, but we've been you know our our you know part of our strategy has really been about trying to um, create uh, digital self service on all the areas of service that customers are finding um, you know they're calling us for you know so if right. we can find those pockets of high call volume and digitize you know a better solution online for them, that's that's how we kind of break the friction within then sure. buy-in buy service chain. So we really look to, in a sense, digitizing the service experience um, through chat, you know, AI-based chat, things like that, that have been very helpful for us over the last couple of years.
0: How are you dealing with the supply chain disruptions and the labor shortages that we're hearing from virtually every distributor CEO these days?
2: Yeah, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting point in time for us. I think the you know, I think we, you know, I go back to economics, you know, we're seeing a huge, you know, surge and um, recovery, you know, the United States in terms of demand and buying. And that's put a major pinch point, you know, into the supply chain area for, for most companies. You know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's hit everybody in America from people waiting for furniture for their homes or. You know waiting for something to come even a delivery you know for, for their own personal consumption everybody is facing you know supply chain challenges you know we've been we've had a very strong supply chain good partners for a lot of years we're you know we're, we're facing it head-on you know very much how we you know got very much i would say roll up the sleeves approach in 2020 with pandemic uh, we look at this as the same opportunity uh leveraging our partners uh, getting creative where we can um, to continue to um, ensure we get product to our to our customers quickly. But certainly it's had an impact on, uh, on the dropship community as well. You know, there's a lot of manufacturers and distributors who, you know, have extended lead times in the market. We're very transparent with our customers. You know, we like to let them know, you know, if an order is going to be delayed, we let them know electronically. They're not always happy about it. Right. You know, nobody's happy about price increases. You know, I... Yeah. I you know, uh, on the raw material side, I think every supplier is getting hit with that. So um, we we're gonna we're gonna continue adjust through it, and I hope uh, I hope we can get through it. You know, I think just uh, in terms of when we start to see some easing, nobody really knows when that's going to happen. Right. But uh, I think the whole industry would like it to happen a lot sooner. That's that's for sure.
0: And and uh, have you had a hard time recruiting uh, talent?
2: Um, you know, I think most of it. I I think on the you know I think most companies are probably challenged on the distribution side. You know, we've certainly had to relook at our you know look at our pay structures, like most companies. Um, You know, we've been able to secure you know the the labor we need at this point. I think um, you know, but it's I see the the labor challenge not just being us, but also our partners, supplier partners are having challenges is getting labor. Manufacturers are having trouble getting labor. That all translates to um, delays in the overall supply chain. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how this how this all shakes out. I think as these stimuluses start to come off, um, we won't be competing for those with with our with the uh, with labor. You know, um, right? You know, hopefully that'll start to free up, and we, we should see. Uh, you know, the country certainly back to getting back to full employment state or a little bit better. But right. um, you know, it's, a, it's it's a challenge.
1: A couple of questions here, Barry. So, um, one is: To what extent are you able to distinguish true demand versus hoarding? And two: How does pricing play into that in this environment?
2: Well, certainly, I've had a lot of companies that have been out of office for a long time. They haven't updated anything, so you are seeing kind of a surge, you know, in general. Um, we have a pretty good understanding of you know year-over-year comps by category, so we understand you know, what we see is maybe surge demand versus regular demand. Um, pricing, I think is just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's just a, uh, output of the economic situation we're in with whenever you have constrained products, you're, you're going to have increase in prices. So, you know, it starts with the raw materials, uh, those prices going up. We, we try to make sure that we, uh try to pass on whatever savings we can to our customers our, our value proposition is to, to be a value player to them you know we're not the highest we're not the lowest but we're we're in a competitive price position so you know we've had to look at pricing a lot more aggressively you know over the last uh, over the last six seven months um, and we try to manage that so that uh, you know our customers are getting the best value at any moment um, that they're buying from us and we've sent out you know, I've sent out probably two emails company wide uh, to our customers, uh, letting them know and keeping aware of the the fact that we are seeing you know supply chain challenges in the market. But uh, just like everybody else, and we're trying to keep our availability high for them, and we're trying to keep our prices, um, you know, at a, at a point that uh, that they can buy still with confidence. And uh, we've been we've been holding true to that.
0: So uh, Barry, we're uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about maybe advice you might have for, you know, distribution executives who are perhaps earlier in their careers and, you know, they want to be you someday, they want to be the CEO of a distributor of some kind at some point in time. And uh, so you've, you know, you've been in a few different companies, you've probably had different mentors, and you've been a mentor. Uh, But if you're going to give advice to someone who, you know, they, they they want to achieve the top spotlight you have done really a couple of times now, you know, when when you talk to the people you're mentoring, what's the, what's, what's the synopsis of the advice you give them on, you know, how to be a great leader and how to be, how to become a CEO?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Ian. And, um, you know, I, I've always learned by experience, you know, I think having a wide range of experiences throughout your career eventually culminates into having kind of a, a, a wide base of knowledge about your industry, about your company, and ultimately how to build strategy. Because, you know, I started out at a very early age in, in the warehouses, you know, working in warehouses, doing put away, doing inbound, um, you know, packing orders. And I did that for years, you know, in the, in the summers. And I think, you know, eventually you make it, you make your way into the catalog department. You start talking to people there and wow, wow, you know, how, how does that work? And that's how I, that's how I kind of learned a bit at that, that level and through it, you know, and then I think starting out in, um, uh, different roles and different companies, you know, I've gone from being uh, a sale, a salesman in a commercial office product space. You know, it was one of the first major jobs I had. I mean, that was probably one of the best experiences ever on how to sell value. Mm-hmm. That has never changed in terms of my mindset with companies. So I've always kept some of those principles in the back of my head, moved into marketing roles, moved into, um, uh, all operations roles, then became general managers. So you're seeing how the whole thing comes together. And I think the most thing that's important through that is not only picking up all those different experiences, but being able to demonstrate that you've got a point of view and a plan about how your organization can get better. And so you're always challenging you know, within the company, you're always trying to be somebody that is looking at the objectives of the business and then building those plans and working with those teams to try to do something different in the business. And I think as you start to do that over time, you start to kind of act like the CEO. I mean, you're, you're there to provide value each day. It doesn't matter what company you're with. So um, you're trying to look for differentiation. What can we do there? You know, what do we do to drive and execute on the things that we're asked to do relative to the goals and objectives of the business? But most of all, you gotta, you gotta love what you do. And, and I love what I do so i, I I've, I've loved I love both sides, believe it or not, consumer and b 2 b. I find a lot of parallels between the two. The red thread has always been e-commerce for me, and I got into it because I just you know remember seeing my first web page come up and re- recognizing I saying to myself, boy, catalogs are dead. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm switching out of catalogs and going right into the web. So you know that was a that was always exciting. So it has to have you know you have to be excited about it each day. and you know, I certainly know people throughout their careers they they, you know, they kind of get down one particular path, and at some point, they're like, you know, I don't like doing this anymore. That has never been my case. You know, right. our, our our business at Global, we have things to solve every day. I work with some great people. Um, I love taking kind of the impossible problems, figuring out how we solve it. You know, the Apollo 13 approach. I use right. that a lot, and that that's fun. You know, I I, I think you, you, it can be a lot of fun. So when you show that energy throughout your career, and you're constantly bringing new ideas to the table and you're constantly challenging yourself, you know, that's it gets noticed after a while. And so, you know, the opportunity will, will come. And uh, the more knowledgeable you get um, and uh, the more energy you bring to the table each day, I think that eventually, you know, eventually uh, turns out it becomes really beneficial for, you know, getting to the next level.
0: So, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I'm just saying that's how it worked for me.
0: Yeah. So I noticed that as you've built teams over the years, Barry, maybe this is just my impression, but it feels like you Put together teams that are made up of a combination of people that were there when you got there and some outside talent that you've brought in <clears throat> and getting those cultures to work together very productively isn't always easy so how, what do you say to those folks how, what's your philosophy how do you get those sort of out the people who have the dna in the company that you just joined along with people who have you know maybe a fresh outside perspective don't have that dna how do you stitch them together so that the whole is greater than some of the parts?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Ian. That's kind of most of what most executives spend a lot of their time doing. And, uh, you know, I, I think in, um, in in the current case, you know, mo- most of the companies that I've been a part of have tremendous legacy capability. You know, they got great institutional knowledge. Um, they understand the industry, the business, the subtleties of it. So when you combine that with executives that have new talent to bring in, Right now, you're, you're helping the, the whole organization go forward. But to your point, you need it all to gel. So I think a, a lot of it comes from um, listening, you know, giving people the opportunity to um, chart a course of where they think their department or group needs to go. But being very clear about the context of the strategy and what we're trying to achieve. And so that always starts with a good plan. So I've certainly been a part of companies that they don't have a well-written plan, you know, and they needed yeah. one. Um, or the plan changes, you know, every minute. Um, I think we try to stay fairly true to, uh, the strategies, at least for the last two companies I've been with. And, but when those executives come in, they've got an opportunity to put a little English on their area and listening to it and being accepting of it. And then, you know, trying to help guide where they're out of bounds and then kind of really forcing the collaboration, making sure that you bring people in that like to collaborate, um, it's very hard to operate you know, in a soloed orga- siloed organization. So I think you know, making sure that the people you bring in know that they may be coming into a great legacy organization with really good people. But at the end of the day, uh, they're bringing in skills that maybe we needed that we didn't have. So you've got to help the folks that have been there for a while understand that new people are coming in and they're going to be thinking about how to do something differently. Don't get nervous by the change, embrace it, and realize that we're going to be on this this path together, and that that kind of creates, that only comes from communication and discussion with the teams, having clear operating meetings each week, so that everyone's clear on the goals, to see how everyone's um, progressing. Uh, but you've got to build that that teamwork and that culture, and I think it comes from you know clearly identified goals, clear vision of the business, what we so everyone understands, and then having the, us work together as a team to make sure that the things that all the executives are driving. Um all the other executives kind of see it and they know it, and they start to to bring it together and it right. and it, and it really works and I think that's what helps kind of integrate you know the the best of the history with the best of the new.
0: Well, I know you've only been there a couple of years now and your stock's up like fifty percent or something. I looked at the numbers before the call, so whatever you're doing it's working, and that was right through the teeth of uh, you know this unprecedented time with the pandemic so uh, you're doing a great job, and uh, Barry, you know, thank you so much for making time for us today. It's great to talk to you. Obviously, if uh, if, we, if you ever did a favor, we're here for you, like you were here for us today. So uh, I'm going to wrap up now. So uh, thanks to everyone for joining us, Barry. Especially thanks to you. It was a fascinating discussion. We appreciate you sharing your wisdom based on your you know, really tremendous background and experience. Our next show is going to be on Wednesday, September 29th. We'll have Chuck Cohen, who's the managing director at Benco Dental. Between now and then, we've actually got a rare double header on September 23rd at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. We are doing the Distributor Services Imperative. It's a program we're doing with the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. There's the URL. And then at noon that day Eastern, we're doing the ROI of Cloud ERP. Uh, You can go to distributionstrategy.com and click on events. There's some ways you can follow us there. Some contact information for Jonathan and me. Thank you so much for attending today. To all you podcast listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, Barry, have a wonderful day. Uh, uh, Best wishes for even more success uh, as you continue to lead global industrial to new heights. And Jonathan, always good to host with you. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you soon. Have a great day. Bye now.